Merry Christmas. It's so good to, to be joining you today. Uh, I'm excited to preach today. We're going to be in Psalm 119. Uh, if you know that passage, it's quite long. I'll be focusing on one verse, though, so don't worry. You won't be here the whole day. You can go open presents, have great food. I uh, have a, the Facebook app. My wife has the Facebook app, and uh, we, you know, the Facebook app will have the little Reels logo, and you can click on it. You see videos. Well, we watched a video the other day of this little baby that was able to finally see for the first time. And this little baby, I assume uh, like they had some sort of problem with their retina or, or, or their, the, you know, the shape of their eye, so they just didn't see very good. They were able to get glasses, and this baby was able to see his mama's face for the first time. And, and you see the baby, and he's kind of you know, doing what babies do, just moving around a little bit, wiggling, and they, you know, they fit the glasses on, and it has the band so the kid can't pull them off, and then he sees his mom. And the kid lights up, right? And then the mom lights up and the mom starts crying. You know, my wife is watching it and she starts crying because it's so beautiful. I'm sweating out of my eyes because you know I don't cry. Uh, but this is such a, it's a beautiful video, a beautiful video, a great scene of seeing someone get to see, right? When, that's what glasses do. Glasses help people who can't see very good see better, right? Mark Birch, that's why he wears glasses. He needs help seeing. This little baby needs help seeing. Well, scripture functions in that way. John Calvin, a theologian from 500 years ago, used the expression, the spectacles of scripture. And what he was trying to communicate was that scripture is the glasses that helps you see your world clearly. Without scripture, you don't know who God is. You can't understand God. You can't understand his character. You don't see how he's working in the world. So scripture is the spectacle by which we should be viewing the world. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. Psalm 119 teaches us about these spectacles, teaches us how we should think, how we should view God. So today, I want to convince you that God does good and allows evil for greater good. God does good or allows evil for greater good. So that's my idea, my, my thesis, if you will. We're gonna look at this with three way, in three ways. God is good, God does good, and then God allows evil for greater good. So first, God is good. Psalm 119, we're gonna go all the way to 68. So Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statues. A very short verse, but there's so much here. Psalm 119 is the longest book in the entire Bible, 176 verses, right? That's, that's a lot. It takes you more than a day to read through it on, you know, on your reading plan, right? And all 176 verses are arranged into 22 stanzas of eight verses each. There's an incredible amount of symmetry in the book. Every single stanza starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and every single stanza is trying to say something about the word of God. Psalm 119 is 176 verses focusing on the merits, the value, the power of the scriptures. So Psalm 119 teaches us important things. But the verse we looked at, Psalm 119.68, it says something about the scriptures, right? Teach me your statutes, right? We want to learn them, but it also says something about God, right? And, and at this point, right, some of our hermeneutical principles jump in, right? So hermeneutics is the way that we interpret the Bible. There are rules for interpreting the Bible correctly. And one of them is that the, the plain meaning comes first, right? So whatever the passage says, that's what we focus on. 
So Psalm 119.68 talks about the law of God. But another hermeneutical principle is that scripture has secondary meanings. And this passage focuses on the law of God. But more than that, it says something about the character of God. You are good. Two verses prior, we see Yahweh, the Lord. The Lord is good. It's saying something about the character of God. And that is what I want to focus on. Because if we zoom out from Psalm 119 and we look at all 66 books of the Bible, if you had, you know, to summarize, what is the Bible about? The phrase, it's about God, is probably the best that you could do. The Bible is God's story. And the entire story is meant to help you understand the character of God. Who is this God who made everything, right? Who is working in our world, who offers salvation? Who is this God? What is he like? Right, so when you look at the scriptures, they everywhere, they're trying to communicate something about the character of God. So I'll give you a few examples, just from the very beginning of the Bible. So Genesis 1, if you read Genesis 1, you read Genesis 2, you learn that God is creative. Like our God is the kind of God who makes stuff out of nothing. There was previously nothing, and then God made, and God made everything. And didn't just make stuff, he made beautiful things, right? Scripture tells us he made creation and it was good. Our good God makes good things. Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us that God is creative. Genesis 3, if you know the story, records the entrance of sin into the world, right? And sin is any, any rebellion against God's law. So the, the first, our first parents, Adam and Eve, acted in rebellion against God. They disobeyed his commands went their own way, and then they brought sin and death into the world. They brought corruption into the world. And at that point in the story, you're like, oh man, God's gonna have to judge somebody. But what God's response is mercy. He, he, seeing that Adam and Eve are, are ashamed, right? Previously they were naked and not ashamed, and now they are ashamed, and they wanna put on clothing to hide themselves from God. And God kills animals and co clothes them in animal fur. Our God is merciful, responding to the sin of people with mercy, making a way for them to continue a relationship with God. Three chapters into the Bible, and we're already seeing different facets of the character of God. This is what the Bible is all about. So I, like, we could keep going, but I'm going to fast forward a few books. In Exodus 34, this is the greatest summary of the character of God that we see in the entire Old Testament. Exodus 34, six to seven, the Lord, right? So this is Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We see so much of the fullness of God's character here. He is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, uh, who does not clear the guilty, right? He's just. If you wanted to summarize all of that, what would be like the one word you would use? Good. God is good. Psalm 119, verse 68. Exodus 34, 6 to 7. The entirety of the scriptures wants us to know that God is good. That is his character. That is who God is, right? And Psalm 119 teaches us about God's law. So the good God gave a good law, 
right? So if, for example, the 10 commandments, do not murder, do not steal, all these things create a good life. A good God gives a good law that creates the good life. So this is a, a very important claim by Christians. We're saying that our God is the source of morality. Our God is good. And this claim has been opposed by people for 2,500 years. The most famous, of course, is Plato. Plato, 2,500 years ago, presented a, a challenge against understanding where morality comes from, known as the Euthyphro Dilemma. And it's, it's gonna get a little bit philosophical, but I, I'm, I, I think it's a really important thing to understand, that Christians believe something profound about who God is. So the way that Plato framed the argument is he said, okay, well, there's two options. When we try to understand what morality is, option A is that morality is determined by God. It, it is arbitrary. God gets to choose, and whatever God chooses, that is good. So he phrased it this way, is something good because God wills it? And option B is, is something good, and therefore God wills it? So morality exists outside of God. If morality exists outside of God, then there's actually something that God is in submission to. Morality here, God here, God is under the, the control or un, under the authority of a morality that exists outside of him. So if you look at both of these options, a Christian cannot affirm either side. Because if we say morality is arbitrary, that God just chose stuff, well, what if God had chosen different? Like, why is it bad to lie? Why is it bad to steal? What if God had said cannibalism is good? Would a Christian affirm then that cannibalism is good? So morality can't be random. It can't depend just on God's whims. So a Christian has to reject that. The other option is that, well, morality is fully outside of God. So God actually doesn't determine what is good. He's a messenger. He just tells us what is good. Well, and how do we know he even told us the right things, right? The Bible's an old book. Both of these options have to be rejected. So then what can a Christian say? What can a Christian say? Because Psalm 119.68 clearly says, well, well, God is good. And that's the answer. No, God is good. We're not saying that, God is what determines what is, or God is not the one who decides randomly what is good. We're not saying that God searches out what is good and then delivers it to us. We're saying, no, no, no. God in himself, God in his character is good. And because God is good, everything he teaches is therefore also good. God is the source of morality, right? This is important. Right? As, as Christians, we're not saying that people can't be moral without God. Everyone recognizes morality. There are things that everyone knows to be good, right? It is, it is good to be honest. It is good to help others. What we are saying is, well, no, no, the reason we know all those things to be good, the way we recognize them, the, the knowledge that we have that they are in fact good in their, in, their, in their essence is because God told us that, because God is good and God communicates what is good for people. So I know I made a big deal of this, but I think Psalm 119 made a big deal of it. And, and really actually the, the law of God is meant to, is good because God is good, but there's actually a greater example in the scriptures of the goodness of God, greater even than the law. And obviously Sunday school answer, Jesus. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus is the greatest example of the goodness of God. In that story, and specifically in the resurrection of Jesus, we see that the goodness of God most evidently displayed. You see, Jesus makes, in his resurrection, has made a way for eternal life to be possible. 
right? Earlier I said that the law of God it, it is good and it, you know, it leads to the good life. The only thing that would make the good life better is if it didn't end. And Jesus in his resurrection makes it possible for life not to end. The, the, the only thing better than human flourishing is eternal human flourishing. And this is what Jesus offers, right? Um, we, here in the West, we often, you know, look forward to retirement, right? I want to get to 65, and I just want to retire. And, and we paint this beautiful picture, right? You know, I, I'm going to travel a bunch, right? I'm going, I'm, I'm going to go on a 180-day cruise, right? I, I'll see the grandkids all the time. I play pickleball every day or golf every day. Well, we have these big visions, right? And some people do, do get some of those things, right? But ultimately, it's 10 years, 15 years, and then they pass away. And some people don't even get those things, right? What they get is, you know, 10 to 15 years of prescriptions and pain, and then they also pass away. Life ends. Life is short. So all this effort, all this striving to get to retirement only for it to end, we're like, man, there's got to be something more. And the Christian message is, well, there is. Eternal life is available by faith in Jesus. The Christian hope is that there is a way to live forever. 1 Corinthians 15 starting in verse 53, makes this evident. Paul says this, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The point Paul's trying to make here is that there is, there is a day coming and has already happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus where death will be no more. People can live forever by faith in Jesus. So God's goodness offers eternal life, but it is only available through faith in Jesus. So first we see God is good. Remember the passage says God is good and does good. So that brings up our second point, God does good. So the, the goodness of God right, is his character, and character is always expressed in actions. And there's two principal ways that the goodness of God is evident in the world around us. The first is called common grace, and the second is redemptive history. Redemptive history is that, you know, what God is doing in our world. So the first one is it's common grace, and this is also a, a theological term. And Wayne Grudem is a, a systematic theologian in, in the U.S., and he defines common grace like this. The grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. So God does things in his goodness, blesses people, is kind towards people that in ways that are fully separate from salvation. He just does good things for people because he's good. God is good and does good. So there are manifold examples of this in our world here. So here in the West, right, the prosperity of the West is one of the greatest examples of God's common grace. You live in a place where you live in relative safety, right? We live in a world where we have access to medicine, clean water, electricity, right? You're able to watch, you know, you have great internet that you're able to watch this video, right? We live in a mostly safe world. We live in a country that has a judicial system that tries to be equitable. Sometimes it fails for sure, but we actually have a system where even the little guy has a chance against the big guy. So we, as we look at our world, we're like, man, like, what did I do to be born into this world? Why, what, why, what did I do to earn this? The answer is nothing. You didn't earn it. It's God's common grace. It's a kindness from God who is good, who let you be born in this world, who gave you this opportunity. So 
the common grace of God here in the world around us shows his goodness, right? And, and if we take a step back, we recognize, I think, that not everyone has this, right? I, I was watching a few weeks ago, Without Remorse, uh, on, on Amazon Prime, and uh, not recommending the movie, it was just okay. Uh, it was based on a Tom Clancy book, and that's why I was excited to watch it. I read the book when I was a, a teenager, and I was like, I love Tom Clancy, let's watch the movie. We watched the movie, it was just okay, but, but there was a scene in it where you know, soldiers are going into a, a random city in Syria. And as you're looking at it, you see like smoke is rising up from buildings, burned out cars, soldiers everywhere. And my wife is like, oh, this is so horrible, Freddie. Like, do people really live like that? Is this a real place? And I was like, well, I, I don't know if this is a real place. I'm like, it's a fictional story, but it's based on a real place. Like there are places in the world that this is normal life. She's like, man. And in that moment, we were like, thank you, God, that we were born here in a, in a different place. God, it is your common grace that let me be born here in a different world. Further than that, like, I, I think if you look, like, look out the window, we live in the Pacific Northwest, right? We're a hashtag PNW, right? Everything around us is beautiful. We live Baker, Sasquatch, Cheem, like there are beautiful mountains, beautiful hikes, right? Snowboarding, uh, hiking, mountain biking. There's so much to do here. Beautiful British Columbia. Like we live in a beautiful world, right? Scripture reminds us that this beauty around us, the, the goodness of creation, it's a gift from God. Matthew 5, 45, Jesus says these words, for he, for God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God's common grace makes the world work. God's common grace gives beauty into the world for us to enjoy. And common grace is good, but the only thing better than common grace is saving grace. That's what redemptive history is. Redemptive history is the story from Genesis to Revelation of God working in our world to save sinful people. And we see this, right? If, if you've been around the church much, you, you might've heard the, the, four, the four C's, right? Creation, re, or four C's, C-R-R-R-R. Creation, rebellion, redemption, recreation, right? These things that, that show the story of the entire Bible that God is working in our world and he's gonna make a better world. So, you know, the, I'll, I'll quickly summarize the story to, to make it evident that this is what God is doing. So creation is saying, you know, God made the world, right? We talked about Genesis 1, 1 and 2 earlier. God made everything from nothing. He made it good. So the storyline of scripture is telling us God, God made something beautiful. And then Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve rebelled. Adam and Eve rejected God's commands. They went their own way. They brought sin, suffering, death into the world. And, and God responded, right? So that's creation, rebellion, Redemption, God, God responded. God had started working from the very moment they rebelled to make a way to reconcile them to himself. He gave them animal skins at first and then a sacrificial system and then ultimately Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life and then died for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus takes the punishment that Adam and Eve deserved. Jesus takes the punishment that you and I deserve. And then ultimately, the story ends with recreation. All of human history is working to a point, uh, to a point of progress, if you will, where sin will be no more, death will be no more. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, there will be a day where death's sting will be gone. We're excited for that day. So redemptive history is even better than, than common grace. God, God is kind to everyone, but he is particularly kind in salvation and makes this offer 
to everyone. St. Augustine was a, was a theologian way back in, in the 300s, 400s AD. And he, he had this phrase that, that he, from a book where he said, God judged it better to bring good out of evil than to not permit evil to exist at all. Redemptive history is that story. Evil came into the world. Rebellion came into the world. And God said, no, no, I can do more in fixing a broken thing than in making sure it was never broken at all. And that is what God is doing in our world. God is doing this in all of creation. And that, that is how we say God is, God is good and God does good. Right, so if God is good and God does good, what is the response from us? How should we react to this God? Well, I think like we need to respond. You need to respond to the God who is good and is doing good in the world around you. Right, so Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This, this passage points to redemptive history. God is doing something in the world around us how will you respond? How will you respond to what God is doing? And I think, I think we have to respond by accepting his offer. God makes an offer and we must accept it. My wife and I shop at, uh, at Shoppers right? or, and President's Choice and, and or Superstore, I guess. Like all of them are the same thing. Uh, and as, as we go there, one of the things that we always make sure we do is we open the app and we load our offers. Those offers are there available to anyone Right? But you don't get the points unless you load the offer. You have to accept the offer. The offer's there, but you have to take it. Salvation is the same way. Jesus makes this offer like, I want to forgive you. I want to save you. But we have to load that offer. And Jesus offers something much better than cheap groceries and double points. He offers eternal life. So the question for you today is, will you accept the offer? Will you take it? God is good and does good, you should take that offer. The last point is God allows evil for greater good. And I think this is the hardest thing for us to grasp. I, I think if, if you've been following with, with me up to this point, you're like, okay, Freddie, I agree with you. Okay, God is good. You know, Psalm 119 says that. I think I see the philosophical underpinnings for that. Okay, and then God does good. Okay, sure, salvation history shows that God is good and like the world around us, but like you left out a big part, like life is hard. Like there's a lot of suffering around us. So how is God doing good and all of that? And I think that's a really fair question. I, I think that is the challenge for so many people. Like, well, no, okay, God is good and God does good, but my life stinks. Things are hard, right? If, if we just take a step back, like let's just go over the last two years, right? The COVID-19 pandemic, like people are exhausted. Everyone I talk to, like you see people's face change when they talk about these things, you know, masks, deaths, mandates, lockdowns, like when will it end? And then more recently, the Nooksack River overflowed when we had torrential downpours and Sumas Prairie flooded and hundreds of people were displaced and homes destroyed and farms ruined. These are just the extras, right? There's the normal suffering. So the normal deaths, like cancer and things like that, Alzheimer's, all these normal things that still cause so much pain for people and the normal family di like dynamics and, and problems and people still die. People die even at Christmas. So as you look at the world, you're like, dude, I, I see a lot of not good. 
So if you're telling me that God is good and does good, how does that fit with all the world around me that is not good? And I think, I think that the thesis still stands. God is good and does good, but I think this raises really hard truth for us. I think often we are ignorant of what God is doing in the world. Like we just can't see it. And because we can't see it, we assume that he's not good or he doesn't do good. But I think that assumption's misguided. <clears throat> Providence is, is a phrase that, that every Christian should know. It is the answer to this problem. Providence is the idea that God is purposeful in his sovereignty. So purposeful, like he's doing something. And sovereign is that God's in control. God has power to intervene in every circumstance. So God is purposeful in his interventions and God is purposeful in withholding interventions. God is doing something in our world. So every Christian, if they hold on to this truth, that is what helps them in these moments where God allows evil things. We're like, well, God is still working. God is still working here, even when I don't see it. Both the good things and the bad things. In the good, in the bad, God is working in all these things. So it, it, you know, if we look at this broadly, every single person faces suffering. Like there, there is not a person that has a perfect life. Every single one of us has something we would change if we could, has a, a, a situation where we're 100% powerless and we want it to be different than what it is. So everyone suffers. We all go through hard things. So the question is not, will you suffer? The question isn't even, to what extent will you suffer? I think the question is, how do you understand the suffering you go through? And there's really two options. In my mind, there's two options. One, suffering is meaningless. Like it doesn't, it has no purpose, it just hurts. And I need to avoid it as much as I can. And I'm gonna try to avoid it because it doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. It just hurts. And option two is, well, it hurts a lot, but it, it, there's a purpose to it. It's doing something. And obviously the Christian answer is option two. Suffering is doing something. If God is providential, if God is in control of all things and he's working out his purposes, then even the hard things we face have a role in God's plan. And this is the Christian idea. Like this, this is the Christian worldview. When, when we talk about the spectacles of scripture, how should we understand the world around us? I think this is how we should understand the world around us. Uh, the world around us. God is working in the really hard things. I wanna give you a few examples. So uh, if you were in the worship center a couple months ago, you might've seen me limping along the stage. And I made the joke that Mark pushed me down the stairs and I hurt my knee. It was totally a joke. I'm sorry, Mark Birch, you didn't actually push me. What actually happened is I just had knee surgery. I had a meniscus tear from playing soccer and I got hurt about a year ago. And I just had my surgery and I'm 100% recovered, praise God. And this surgery uh, in the moment was wildly inconvenient. I was pretty mad that I, I missed a few days of work. And then I was more mad that I missed a bunch of games of soccer. Like I, I'm in the middle of men's league. Like I missed six weeks. I was ticked. Actually, I missed seven weeks. I, I was ticked. I was like, look at all the things I'm missing out. I'm missing out on all these fun times. And I, I love playing and I love the boys. And I, I just, I wanna play, man. I'm, I'm missing out on so much. And in that moment, as I'm looking at the situation, I, yes, I am missing out, but if, if I believe that God is in control, right? That God is good and does good. And I take a step back, I'm like, well, I, I missed out on some, but what did I gain? And the answer to that is I gained a whole bunch of family time. I, I'm usually gone for three or four hours on Saturday. 
and now I have three or four hours on Saturday that I get to spend with my family. I often lift in the mornings and, and now I can't lift, so I'm staying home, which means that I get to wake up with my son and I could go and change his diaper and hand him over to his mom. We get to have breakfast together as a family. All these things that I normally don't get because of my other commitments, I now gained. Yes, I lost some things, but I gained a lot more. So as I look at this situation, in hindsight, looking back on it, I'm, I think to myself, well, God is good and does good. The surgery came at the perfect time. I, I was a little bit tired. I needed more family time, and God made sure that I got it. God is good and does good. And I know some of you might be sitting there like, that's an easy example, dude. Like, it, your surgery worked out, and you're complaining about a surgery. Like, what if you hadn't gotten the surgery? Or what if there was irreparable damage? Like, there is significantly worse things than getting a surgery. And I think you're right. There is worse things than getting a surgery. And if we look at the scriptures, there is much harder stories than Freddie getting his knee fixed. One of the hardest is in Genesis. Genesis 30 to 50, in, in, in those 20 chapters, we see the story of Joseph. And Joseph has one of the hardest, one of the greatest examples of suffering in the Old Testament. And his story, it goes over decades. And Joseph, if, if you don't know the story, was part of a big family. He had 12 brothers and he is uh, sold by them into slavery. They hated him because he, he was kind of, you know, a, a braggart and talked about these big dreams he had and he had a vision from the Lord and he, he just was a tough kid. He's immature. And at the age of 17, they sold him into slavery. Initially, they were going to kill him, but then they were like, that's too bad. We, sh we shouldn't murder someone. We should sell him as a slave. Sell him as a slave. So this story, his Joseph's story took a horrible turn at 17 years old, right? When most of us are, you know, trying to save up for our first car, playing video games, playing sports, just trying to enjoy life before, you know, college or career or trades, whatever comes next, Joseph got sold into slavery. He spent years as a slave. Eventually, he ended up in prison. He was falsely accused of assaulting someone and was thrown in prison, and he spent over a decade in, in, in prison. And, and finally, he, he, has, he has a moment where he gets released. And, and then he rises to power. He rises to a position of authority in Egypt. And there, there had been a, a famine that had been prophesied. And Joseph is able to help prepare Egypt for this famine. So the people of Egypt don't starve. And they have so much food that they can actually provide for the rest of the world. Or for, you know, for the rest of, of the local world. So people from Canaan, from Joseph's homeland, come in and he actually sees his brothers again. 22 years passed from the moment he was sold as a slave to the moment he saw his brothers. 22 years of suffering. Yeah, it got better at the end, but he lost everything. He lost his family, he hadn't seen his father, his brothers had betrayed him, so there's no relationship there. In Joseph's story, it's so interesting to see the way that he understands it once he's lived through it. Not in the moment, but once he's lived through it. In Genesis 50 verse 20, he says the famous phrase to his brothers, you meant this for evil. You sold me as a slave. You hated me. You wanted to get rid of me. You meant evil. But God meant it for good that many people would be saved. And that's what happened in the story of Joseph. Joseph went through tremendous suffering. The hardest things that someone could live through, false imprisonment, being sold as a slave, homesick, alone. And yet God was working through even that. This is the way that we should understand the world around us. God is working in everything. God is good and does good. 
We don't see that greater good in the moment. I'm not asking you to see it in the moment. I'm saying you will see it once you're through that experience. I'm saying when you look back on the rest of your life, if you're honest, there are moments when you look, you know what, that was a hard thing, but God brought me through it and God grew me through it. God brought me through and he showed me something else about his character. God brought me through it and something good came of that evil. This is what Christians believe. These are the spectacles that the scripture gives us to understand how God is working in our world. God is good and does good. When we face evil, God allows evil to bring about greater good. So how should we respond? What is the Christian response in life if, if this is how God is working? In a word, trust. We need to trust God no matter what we're facing. And I recognize that, that there is some hard stuff going on right now. I know that there are some of you who, as you're hearing this, you have friends or family who are walking away from the faith, who are deconstructing, right? who are abandoning all, all of their, their core Christian beliefs in favor of, of progressive ideas, in favor of looking exactly like the culture around them. And you're looking at them and you're saying, God, why is this happening? I, I know some of you are in, in a challenging marriage and you know it, it's not bad, it's not good, it just is, it's cold. You just show up and you go through the motions and you have kids and you have good jobs, but you're looking at your life and you're like, is this, is this the point? God, why did you bring me into this marriage if this is it, if this is as good as it gets? I know some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, like, I am so disappointed with the way the government has reacted, with the way the church has reacted to the pandemic around us. I, I, I am so torn up. I, I, I don't know what to do. And as I look at the world around me, I don't even know if I want to play ball, if I want to follow my leaders. Life is hard. God, what are you doing in all of this? But scripture speaks. God is good and does good. Yes, you might have a friend who is deconstructing and, and you care so much about them because you don't want them to face the wrath of God. But God is good and does good. God has preserved you up to this moment. God is still working in that situation. God is still working in that person's life. There is still hope. Yes, you're in a difficult marriage where th there is no joy and you don't even know if you wanna stay the rest of the week, much less the month, much less the next decade. And even there, God brought you to this moment. God is growing you through these challenges and you and your partner together can come out a stronger people understanding yourselves better, understanding God better. And in regards to government, to church, to all the things around us, it, it is so hard to trust people that, that we disagree with. But if God is good and does good, God is working in all the decisions that get made. And we can sit there as Christians and say, no, God will never abandon his church. God has promised that he will glorify me. I will make it to the end of my Christian life. So I can trust God. In all of these situations, the response for us is the same. We need to trust God. So I'm asking you, are you trusting God in the hard things you're going through? God is working in, in everything around us. God is doing something, right? God is working in your life, like in the hard things, in the good things, God is working in everything. And I know that, you know, you can, you can hear it and you're like, okay, fine, scripture says it. Um, 
but I still don't, I just don't feel it. How can I feel it, Freddie, when I don't feel like trusting him? When I don't feel like I can let go of these hard things? Well, the best indication of future performance is past performance. And when we look at the scriptures, we see a God who shows up every single time. God showed up for Israel, right? I read Exodus 34, that passage where God tells Israel what his character is like. It came after the Exodus. God freed them from slavery. He saw them in their suffering. He acted and he delivered his people. 400 years of suffering and then he delivers his people. In the story of Joseph, he gets delivered from slavery. He gets delivered. He gets reconciled to his family. 22 years of separation. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you're living through. Sometimes it takes a while for God to act, but God always shows up. For us, what helps us trust in the moment, what helps us say God is good and does good, is looking at his track record. God always helps his people. So we need to learn this phrase. Like this is a Psalm worth memorizing. God is good and does good. And when you don't feel it, you say God is good and does good. And when you don't believe it, you say God is good and does good because God is good and does good. The reason I picked this passage, you know, on Christmas day, on Boxing Day, is because I think we need to hear this message. As I, as I look at the world around us, I'm reminded that, John Calvin was right. We need spectacles. The world around us is so blurry and you will not see it rightly if you don't have scripture informing the way you view the world. And that's what they do. And when we look at the scriptures, God, how should I understand the world around me? Psalm 119.68 tells us God is good and does good. I have no idea what next year is gonna be like. I have no idea what this year was like for you. Like next year might, might be a bit of the same, right? I, I've joked with some of my friends that the word of the year for this year was more, right? More of the same. And, you know, and I told my wife as I was preparing this, you know, the word for next year is again, right? Run it back. We're going to do it again. But the reality is I don't know. I have no idea if COVID is going to go away. I have no idea if your suffering is is going to improve. I have no idea if your friend comes back to the faith, if your marriage gets better, if your house gets fixed. I have no idea. What I do know is that God is working in all these circumstances. What I do know is that scripture reminds us that God is good and does good. And then in Psalm 119.68 says, you are good and do good, Teach me your statues. So brothers and sisters, with me, you can say God is good and does good. This, this Christmas, next year, every time you face something difficult, remind yourself of the phrase, God is good and does good. And that will help you understand the world around you. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm thankful for this day. Uh, I'm thankful for the moment uh, that we are in, even as things around us are so hard. Father, I'm Your scripture speaks, and we're reminded that you are good and do good. So, Father God, I pray that you help us. We are not going to make it through today, much less tomorrow, much less next year without your help. So, Father, I pray that you help us feel it. We help us believe it when we say that you are good and do good. Father, help us trust you. Help us follow you. Help us obey you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.